Something terrible's happened. Lay it on me. I, I love something terrible. Lay it on no! me. No! It's really bad. My Wendy's account, it's been locked. I'm not sure how serious this is, but not go on. Look, look, I just got an email and it has a picture of a sad frosty with a lock next to it. And it says better safe than sorry. We detected numerous unsuccessful attempts to log into this account. This may be the result of galactic invaders, a ghost or simply a forgotten password. I'm sorry. Did you say a sad frosty? It, it looks sad. I'll send how, you a picture. How does a, how does a frosty look sad? Is it an it's, anthropomorphized it's frosty? It has arms and it's like making little fists and it has a lock next to it. That's like it's, a little clip art frosty. I, I mean, I don't think you can clip art a frosty. That's a that's a trade registered trademark of the of of the Wendy's Corporation, whoever owns Wendy's International LLC, it seems. Mm-hmm. Uh, quality is their recipe. Well, quality is our recipe, LLC, Wendy's International. Like, look, here's the upshot is I didn't even know I had a Wendy's account. That was going to be my first question. Did you know before this email came in that you even had one? No, I don't. I don't. I mean, I love a look. I like a square burger. Do you know why the burgers at Wendy's are square, Brad? Do they? Is it more efficient use of grill space? They don't cut corners. Oh, I see. Okay, great, great. If you ever, uh, if you worked at Wendy's or knew someone who worked at Wendy's in the, let's say, late 80s or early 90s, whenever someone came in and asked, hey, why are the burgers square? The only, only acceptable answer, as I understood it from my friend who worked at Wendy's, was that you had to say, because Wendy's doesn't cut corners. So that's that's a real marketing triumph. Yeah. Yeah. It stuck with me right there. Uh, But anyway, yeah. So I don't know what I'm going to do about this whole Wendy's account situation. I guess like often people sign up with my email address for Mm -hmm. accounts that they don't want to get email from. It's a thing that they do. Yes. Sometimes it works out. I got $5 off of something the other day because somebody had made an account for me and had a coupon in there. I was like, oh, I'll just use this. That's great. Did did you use it? Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. Yeah. If they're going to buy, if they're going to spam me, I'm going to, I'm going to reap the benefit. Just got to get yours. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, I don't know. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to suss out this, this, this sad frosty situation and, uh, and, uh, you know, work it, work it through with the fine folks at quality is our recipe, LLC, the Wendy's international corporation, I guess. But is there even a Wendy's within accessible distance to you? I'm not sure there are Wendy's around there. So for a long time, Wendy's was the closest fast food joint to my house. Oh, that wasn't a McDonald's because the Wendy's there's a Wendy's in Colma or it's on mission at Colma, basically. So when you come up the freeway, you get off the freeway and you go straight across to pass past Colma Bart and there's a Wendy's right there. It's open late, too, which was important for different periods of time in my life. Sure. And I guess it was never closer than the Taco Bell, just in full, full disclosure. But sometimes. Sometimes, sometimes you want a burger and not a, not a, you know, a, a, some sort of burrito or taco. Oh, I see the Wendy's near you. There's not a Wendy's in San Francisco. I can tell you that. Really? There's, there's Wendy's Salon and Wendy's Beauty House. I don't think either of those serves Frosties. There used to be a Wendy's in, um, there used to be a Wendy's in, uh, uh, like out West by when I lived out on Lawton Street out, there was a Wendy's next to a KFC. I, I, I will tell you. The fine folks at Wendy's have been doing some good work with the Frosties. Mm-hmm. Um, I Wendy's is my go to when I'm on a road trip for like I need a fast food burger. And uh, the the in the summertime, they do strawberry Frosties now, Ooh. which are quite good. And at Christmas time, peppermint <sighs> Frosties. No, the peppermint Frosties are the bomb that no, no pumpkin spice Frosty yet. They do a pumpkin spice frosty and like everything else, pumpkin spice, it's vile. We don't, we don't talk about that. We don't know. We don't encourage that behavior. Uh, get wrecked, the, Wendy's. 
do they still do the dollar menu? Didn't, weren't they the ones that had like the dollar chili and the dollar baked potato and the like you could eat five things for five dollars kind of configuration? Did you get the JBC? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wait, yeah. the what? The junior bacon cheeseburger. Oh, yo, the junior bacon cheese. Yeah, that's the, that's the classic. My the thing that they do now, I discovered this when we went to Palm Desert this summer. But for like five or six bucks, you get uh, what they call a biggie bag, which mm-hmm. is one of the small burgers, like a junior bacon cheeseburger or a double stack cheeseburger or something like that. Like the little ones, though, like the the like what would have been the classic size burger 20 years ago before they started selling sandwiches for ten dollars of fast food joints. Uh, a small fry and a four piece nug. Wow. Yeah. And a drink. Wow. Pretty good value for five or six bucks. That's uh, listen, I need to tell you. I have a pending rendezvous with the biggie bag. I think we should start this podcast. Welcome to Brad and Will Made a Tech Pod. I'm Will. I'm Brad. Hello. Hi. Hey, welcome back, Brad. Happy hey, New thank Year. You. Hey, Happy New Year to you. It, it oh. is good to see you, my friend. Yeah, thank you. Uh, how, thank you for holding it down in my absence. I, look, it was nice. I got to catch up with Kishore. I'm sorry you missed that. You would have enjoyed yeah. that, that oh, chat, oh, I think. Oh, I love I love the science roundup with Kishore. Well, we'll have to do a, we'll have to do a, another one next year. And yeah. probably like I would love I'm always down to have Kishore on the podcast. Yes. He's always yes. it's always fun to talk to him. For sure. How how has how has twenty twenty and four treated you so far? Uh, it's been it's been pretty okay so far. Like we we uh, we made some pizzas at New Year's. It was great okay. to talk to Adam too. I don't I don't mean to yeah. like just talk about how great Kajor was, and then it, yeah, we love Adam too. Adam is always good, of course. Um, but yeah, we uh, we made some pizzas on New Year's. I busted out the baking steel and and got the oven up to five hundred and fifty degrees and the baking uh, steel. Yeah, you know because because it transfers the heat better. You no, get a no, nice leopard on I the get, crust, right? It's, it's just it's a very it's a very imposing and somewhat rugged phrase. I think. Look, it is the manliest way to make pizza in your oven mm. at home without having your own outdoor pizza oven. It's like it's like a tactical baking method. It is. <laughs> kind of what i'm thinking here honestly <laughs> okay so it does come with a sleeve so uh-huh. you can store it when it's not in the oven but sure. i usually just leave it in the oven because it makes the helps distribute heat evenly yes yes um yes we made some pizza we uh we made hot fudge from scratch which i'd never done before i think we Ooh, talked about oh, that last yes. week a little bit yes we did um yeah it's, 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 a, it's a good holiday you yeah, i hope everything I hope everything's going well yeah, yeah reasonably under, under the circumstances my arteries are hardening steadily day by day perfect it's time to go eat well actually i'm trying to eat a lot of salads while i'm here to offset all of the other stuff i was gonna say how much ham have you eaten while you've been there uh we the ham did not happen on the holiday oh, owing, no. to, owing to various things there was going to be a honey baked ham as is tradition but yeah that didn't quite come together, but did, it's okay. You, have you gotten any country ham while you've been there? Yes. Yes. Because the, the thing is, the thing that I didn't understand growing up there is that most parts of the country, you don't just go into the meat section of the grocery store and buy slices of country ham if no. you want them. No, you don't. But yeah. here, here, it's just everywhere. It's like it's like on the end cap at the gas station. I mean, yeah, not really, yeah. but it might as well be. There's a ham guy that comes door to door on That's Sunday right. mornings and he's That's like, right. hey, man, you want some ham? 
it's maybe maybe the only like meat that's not that's not ultra ultra processed it's the only meat i know that doesn't need to be refrigerated it's just there on the shelf yeah well once it's sliced you have to process it you have to refrigerate it right yeah once it's out of the package you mean what well, well no maybe. once once like so like if you have a whole ham that's like crusted over you could just hang that in your basement right we used to do that it was gross yeah the, the country ham though it, yeah no, i'm talking about the country hams too like you like when they salt them and smoke them and they're cured you hang it in the basement because you have to carve off the outside anyway before you eat it oh so you, we don't we don't get anything that requires carving it's just the pre-sliced oh you get the slices the yeah, very, yeah the very tough incredibly salty and i mean like it's basically made of salt yeah do you do the do you do the thing where you put the brown sugar on it and just put it in the pan and no. let it, and a little bit of water no we just throw it in the pan fry okay. it make okay. make red eye gravy out of the drippings yeah so we dad always did the thing where he would do, fry it up and then put the bre- the 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 brown sugar on the top so it's like sweet and salty and huh. and i think he would do a little bit of water i think he'd cook it in, i think he'd like cook it in a little bit of water to pull some of the salt out and then let the water boil away and fry after that i can't remember huh. interesting that's that that's yeah. that tennessee carolina divide again look i i have a real hankering for country ham like two times a year mm-hmm. and that's basically the the as most i should eat and yes. I, I usually don't follow up on it just to yes. be it's a it's a dangerous food. Yes, we eat it. We eat it once a year on Christmas morning, provided we're all together, and that's it. Because that's all that one can can or should tolerate. Yeah, it's too much, too damn much salt. Yes. Well, I, I'm glad you had an okay holiday, Brad. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Um, do you know what I can tolerate an infinite amount of? Uh, I don't know. Cues, maybe. Yes, just full of A's. This 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 is maybe the best. Like we've been doing this for uh, two years and f- four years and change. I don't know, a hundred years. years. Yes, it's Three actually years change. So it's, it's a good we're almost four and a half years in now, actually. No, no, no. It's only 216. We're f- August 2019 is when we started, which Fudge. was yeah, we are almost four, five four months ago. Change OK, OK, OK. Uh-huh. Um, I was like 52 times four is 208 and we're at 216. Yeah, OK. Well, there have been some gaps. Um, But yeah, so this is maybe the all time best crop of cues we I've seen that I remember. Yes, this is a real bumper crop. Uh, yeah, we're, we 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 could do two two months worth of episodes out of yes. this one month of cues. Yes, if we hadn't already done an extra Q and A last month, I would be like, we should just do two. But no. Well, and so if we don't get to your question, I guess what I'm saying is, I apologize. It was uh, the competition was tough this month, so resend yes. your questions if, yes. you, if you if you have them. And unfortunately, we didn't do this before the holidays, so um, you know we we skipped a lot of the holiday related questions. Just resubmit those in the fall. Yeah, if you have a question. The email address is techpod at content.town. Or if you're a patron subscri- patron of the show uh, by going to patreon.com slash techpod and signing up for five bucks a month to get access to the Discord, then you can post your questions in the Q's Seeking A's channel and they'll disappear for you, but they'll be there when Brad and I go look at them. It's true. And we appreciate them all. Yes. Uh, all right. I'm just going to go in order here because there's so many. We'll just go down the list. Works for me. Yeah. Uh, this question comes in from Avant Gardener. In Ireland, that's, pretty, that's a pretty good name. Uh, this is via the inbox, the email subject line. The podcast puts me to sleep. Thank you. <laughs> well, by I which, guess you're welcome. <laughs> yeah. Yes. By, by which I mean, it puts both my small children to sleep, which is a godsend on long car journeys, uh, of which I am eternally grateful. Uh, do you guys have a particular audio experience or device that aids your sleep? Ooh. Uh, I, I use a sound. We use a sound machine at home, like a mechanical one. In fact, mm-hmm. I, I don't know the brand off the top of my head, but I would I would just about my girlfriend bought it. So I don't even know where it came from, but I would just about bet it's like the one that everybody buys probably on Amazon. It's like this little 
little just cylindrical thing that sits on the table that it's got two um two parts of it swivel back and forth. I assume there's some kind of motor in there that spins. Wow, um, and it it just like grinds to make noises. Yeah, so there are little slats on the side, and by turning the two little slit parts of the cylinder that rotate, you're exposing different little different sizes of the slats on the sides. So it changes the volume and character like tone of the of the white noise coming out. Oh, weird! Uh, and has a speaker inside, presumably. No, well, no, no. There's I think there's there's something like spinning in there. I'm, oh. I think, or maybe maybe it's a speaker. I don't know. It sounds. I feel I feel it vibrating when it's on. So I think something is probably moving in there. That's cool. Uh, yeah, it's pretty neat. I, I I will look up the brand next time I'm when I'm when I'm back home uh, for people who are curious. But uh, and then I I just use one of the many thousands of uh, of of nameless white noise apps on uh, on the app store on my phone when I travel, which actually has made me wonder. There's no there's no harm in running your iPhone speaker at full or not full volume, but like pretty high volume for like eight straight hours a night for weeks or days on end, right? You've been doing it for a long time, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's probably fine. Okay. Um, I do. Uh, so at nighttime, if it's just going to bed at night, our house is generally pretty quiet and I don't, I don't do any kind of noise for that. Um, but if I'm taking a nap in the afternoon, the house is sometimes pretty loud. So I'll put in a pair of noise counseling earphones. And I like the sleepy playlist on Apple Music, which is like chill beats with like you know lots of lots of chimes and stuff like that it's very good yeah that, that sounds pretty good um very, very like new age it's like massage table music is yeah, what i think of yeah uh i actually i'm the opposite like i need the white noise when it's too quiet um i think i think it's because when i'm it's because i'm such a light sleeper that any noise that pierces like absolute silence is going to wake me up guaranteed so like, you can I, poke me with a stick and i'd be fine oh i'm so jealous i I low-key despise people who are sound sleepers. Well, this uh, is awkward now. Yeah. Anyway, uh, the other thing is, as I have unfortunately developed ringing in my ears over the last couple of years, yeah, uh, the, the white noise helps you ignore that when you're trying to fall asleep. That that it's a, that's the nice thing about the noise canceling headphones, Joe, is you put yeah. just a tiny bit of noise and it goes away. Yes. Uh, here's an email from Joe about yeah. eggnog. Ooh, everyone's favorite topic. I love eggnog. Uh, it is the season. Yes, Joe, Wait. getting getting a head start on next year since we're past the holidays here. But uh, I I need a new favorite eggnog brand. My eggnog of choice used to be the one made by Borden. It came in a can and was found in the same aisle with the condensed milk. They eventually stopped using cans and switched to cartons, and now it seems they don't sell it around me at all anymore. Uh, I know Will used to make eggnog before it tried to kill him, uh, but in the yeah. absence of homemade, do you have a favorite brand of store bought nog? So. Okay, first off, I'm going to say making the eggnog not that hard. I made like six gallons again this year, Ooh. as is my way. Yeah, you just can't. Um, you just have to be careful about consuming it, right? I can drink it. I just there's a there's a I I wouldn't want to like have a big giant drink of it and then go on a long road trip if you know what I mean. Got it. Got it. Um, but uh, but the uh, the the like so making it's not that hard. Um, I use the chef steps recipe. I got a lot of email. I got a lot of questions about it, um, but it's just the chef steps. I think it's velvety smooth eggnog and it's very good. Uh, I don't put fake rum or fake almond flavor in it. Uh, I let people add their own booze if they want, because I have a lot of friends who don't drink now. Uh, the, the recommendation on store-bought brands is to buy the, like look for the one from the fancy creamery near you. So if there's some place that does like, you know, the cream on top, 
uh, milk or whatever in the glass jars, just buy the expensive eggnog from them and just drink a little bit of it. Cause that's much like, I, I tend to think that the, I mean, I'm interested, I'm curious about the Borden canned stuff. Cause I have no idea what that would be like, but my guess is that the, that the, um, the, the, the good creamery stuff will be closer to what you're looking for than anything else. Man, Borden is a brand. I don't think I have encountered since the grade school lunchroom. They had a good cow on the label is all yeah. I remember. Yeah, that's right. You don't use a lot of evaporator condensed milk. I'm guessing not, not so much, probably best, not, not so much. Um, I found this email fascinating. Uh, you may also find it fascinating. I know this and also like relevant to your, uh, current objectives and needs work wise. This is why this came in, I believe. Yes. Yes. Oh, specifically yeah. because of you talking about that. Yeah. Uh, but I, this, this is this, I found this very interesting. It's from Joe. Uh, in a recent episode, Will mentioned looking for work for his diverse skill set, and Brad identified with that sort of generalized versus uh, specialized work history as well. We're not actively hiring right now, sadly, but I wanted to pass along some info about my role at Bungie, which is production engineering. Uh, I gave a GDC talk on this role in 2019. I'll, I'll, I'll put that link in the show notes. Uh, but in short, we act as frontline development support for artists, designers, testers, engineers, basically anyone working on the game. Uh, sort of like tech support, but for game tools, or sort of like technical art, but supporting all disciplines and developers instead of just artists. Uh, with our day-to-day experience unblocking folks, we also identify workflow pain point trends and often end up writing little scripts to make things easier or building up research and data to advocate to full-funded engineering teams to improve workflows. Uh, plus, since we're experienced with many of the tools and workflows, at least on a surface level, we can usually jump in and help out anywhere as needed. Uh, we all have a variety of backgrounds and work experience before coming to Bungie. Uh, and in the past, when Wills described the variety of his work on the Anacrusis, I thought about the overlap with the PE role. Uh, Brad's geeking out about build pi- pipelines, also felt like he'd like the role as well. Uh, thought I'd send it along to you just to give you a heads up that roles like these exist and I think could be a good fit for the types of skill sets y'all have described. I know Respawn also spun up a production engineer team last year. And I've seen IO Interactive has a role called Frontline Support Engineer that sounded very similar, but it's not a discipline as widely known in the game industry as something like technical art yet. Uh, so that's awesome. So, yeah, th- this is it's funny. I got a, several notes for I, actually I, talking about this. I got a lot of nice notes from people. So thanks, everybody, for writing in um, and, and for, for, for reaching out. Um, like the tech companies do have similar roles. Um, I think Intel, a friend at Intel said that they call them tech, tech marketing engineers there. Um, and they're the people who help build, help with benchmarks and stuff like that. Um, there's also people in the, the pipeline further that help support like the design engineers with the same kind of problems. Right. So like they build tools to help optimize layouts and stuff like that. Um, help, help them use the tooling better. Not, not necessarily using the, the, the thing I thought, I thought it was interesting. I didn't know this was a role that existed. So thanks. Thanks for writing in. And yeah, that kind of stuff sounds fun. Yeah. It sounds, it sounds like the most Swiss army knife type of role you could have in that environment almost. Well, it's, it's, a, it's nice. It's nice that there's a defined place for people for, for like the kind of work that isn't like a full team job, but is like, Hey, I can spend three days. One person can spend three days working on this and significantly improve a lot of people's lives versus hey we need to rebuild the tool chain for this right? right like that like like cuz often that hey i need to spend 3 days like this is a thing that dave snyder 
um, at whiskey was really, really good about like when, when we asked him to do a calculator so that we could put hours, minutes and seconds in on the podcast, he's like, how long does it take you to do that every day? When you, you do the podcast once a week, you have to do that calculation. How often? Once a week. And there's three people doing podcasts across the whole company. And it would take us two days to put this in, which seemed excessive, but whatever. Um, <laughs> always, always over quote. Yeah, always. Yeah. This is the engineer Scotty method of over, over. Uh, yeah. Uh, but but yeah, like thinking about it in terms of how much time is it going to take versus to, to do the the work versus how much time will it take to implement the fix is a, is a good place. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, that's fun stuff. Um, here is, okay, let's move on to some Discord questions here. Here's one from Simply Bagel. Did you ever put dead batteries in the fridge when you were a kid to get some extra juice out of them? Is, is that a thing? I didn't know that was a thing. I, I yes, I, I absolutely remember doing that. And I don't have any idea. I don't know that I ever had it work. Um, it, you put them in the freezer, not in the fridge. Oh, the freezer. I mean, you know, um, it's it's chemical and energy. I mean, there's there's something chemical going on in there. I suppose changing the state, or not not fully change state changing the, the chemicals, but you know what I mean. Like affecting them thermally could potentially do something that I'm well, speaking out of my depth on. No, but that's not how it works. Because um, when you make them cool, you're reducing the energy in the system. And the chemical reaction is going to happen slower as a result of the the decreased. Um, decreased energy in the batteries like the the heat the thermal energy like the batteries running at room temperature is going to be generate more reaction than the batteries running at freezer temperature so i don't have any idea why that would like i think this is just something kids said to do sure that, that was not reliable also you can like create condensation when you pull them out which is probably mm -hmm. bad for a multitude of reasons um so yeah don't don't do that probably would be my advice uh, the, the only trick I ever had was to just open the battery compartment and spin them a little bit. Just yeah, did that do them anything? around. Yeah, it, it would like really? a bunch of times when I've had like a TV remote seemingly be dead, just just kind of spinning them in the uh, in the, uh, against, you know, just where they sit in the terminals yeah. uh, would would get enough life out of the thing to get it to do whatever thing I need to do on the TV briefly. I mean, it wouldn't last very long, but long enough to like turn the TV off or whatever. Oh, oh. I wonder if you're reducing the resistance, just like scraping the tarnish off the ends of the battery. Just it just reduces the resistance enough to get a few more electrons through there. I don't know. Uh, it's weird. Spe speaking of alkaline batteries, I've been I've been going through some stuff in the storage area while I've been here at home. Mm -hmm. Just kind of going through some of my old stuff. I found a Tiger handheld. Remember those? Oh yeah, I love those. Did you which was the soccer one, the baseball uh, one, the football this, one? This was Mouse Maze. Oh wow! Do you remember Mouse Maze? Yeah, I remember Mouse Maze. Uh, we which, we had a we had a rousing uh, uh, a swap agreement at my elementary school where oh, people wow. would bring those in and we'd swap them and play different ones. My, I had the soccer one, okay. which was one of the better games as I recall. Uh, you're 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 just you're just older enough than me. Like by the time I was old enough for Tiger handhelds, the Game Boy was imminent. But but you you've got a few years on me, so I can see that there, you probably had a, a good chunk of time, a good run where the Tiger handhelds were a thing. Well, and they were cheap too. The Game yes. Boy was kind of like like. Game Boy, the Game Boy was expensive and yeah. it wasn't, I was almost too old for the Game Boy by the time the Game Boy came out. Oh, you're never too old for a Game Boy. Well, I know that now, but at the time we, didn't, we, we, <laughs> yes. we had some, like the fifth graders had some real strong feelings about what was an appropriate age to be playing a, you know, the something Game called Boy. a Game Boy. Yes. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, that, that mouse maze unit, first of all, had a, a copyright date of 1987, which was not necessarily exactly when I got it, but somewhere in the ballpark. There were still batteries in it. 
Wow. Was, the, were they torch? Those batteries cannot have been put in there any later than like 1990, I would say. Had they not corroded? They had significantly corroded. Oh, okay. Yeah, that was that's where I was leading with that. So you can take that out and um, if you soak the, t- if you, if you can disconnect the terminals from the board, you can recover that probably. Okay. Okay. Or you can solder new terminals on the board, but that's a bigger job. Yeah. They were, they were real bad corroded. Yeah. I was going to say it was probably one whole solid chunk of battery, right? Yeah. Yes. Pretty it's gross. Not good. I'm sorry. Ah, yeah. That's all right. Always take uh, your batteries out of stuff before you store it, especially yeah, most, lithium ion stuff. Yes. Most, most everything else, uh, still good. Or, or I had done that, but poor mouse maze. I know. Um, all right. We're going to take a stab at this question, although it's a little hard to get get good data to really predict this. But here's a question I, from I, Super Super Pants. Yeah. Uh, do you think we'll buy, do you think we'll be able to buy a petabyte hard drive off the shelf? And then actually, let me, sorry, I inserted the word hard drive there. Uh, he just oh. said, do you, I actually, now that I reread this, I spent way too much time looking up hard drive trends and didn't. Let's okay. Let's broaden this question. Do you think we'll be able to buy a petabyte drive off the shelf in the next decade? Like at Best Buy, no. Um, you don't think from so? a specialty place, maybe. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, like I mean, you can buy you can buy a petabyte NAS right now for not a whole lot of money for the amount of storage you're getting. Yeah. Well, that's like, a, like discs. A, you know, that's like of course you can you can assemble one logical unit of storage that's over a petabyte now. But like I think I think. For the for the purposes of the thought experiment, it has to be like one single drive off in in a retail box. So on the hard drive front, I don't think we're going to get there in a decade. I think we're yeah. at the limits of what we can do right now with shingled magnetic uh, uh, recording on on the spinning platters. Uh, uh, and and most of the enhancements that we're seeing coming from hard drive manufacturers are in the like incremental advance rather than the the big giant advancements. So it's yeah. like like going from from vertical to shingled and going from uh putting helium inside the drive right. so that there's less turbulence so you can put more discs in and stuff like that is is showing incremental improvements yeah that kind of um, that kind of reminds me of what happened with cpus you know where we hit we finally just hit a after all the brute force just linear increases in clock speed on cpus like we finally hit a hard limit on that and so they had to start finding all kinds of other ways to make cpus faster instead yeah, so or do more work now. Now, there are a couple of things coming on um, hard drives. Seagate has a, a thing called uh, uh, heat assisted magnetic recording that uses a laser to warm the bits <laughs> because that reduces the resistance sure. to change. Sure. And they can pack them in at a 10x density, basically, uh, over huh. existing technologies. Now, there's probably going to be some downsides because it's going to, my guess is with the laser spot heating, it's going to be slower, right? Uh, slower writes. Sure. Um, and a 10x increase in density is still only going to get us to like 200 terabyte drives versus uh, 20 terabyte drives today, right? So so I don't, I don't think petabytes are possible on spinning disks unless we go back to the big five and a quarter inch, you know, the, 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 the big boys yeah. like we used to have in the 90s. Yeah. Um, uh, looks the, like, solid, uh, the solid sorry, state sorry. side's a little different. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Let me let me jump in before you go to SSDs. It looks like Seagate has announced a thirty ter- terabyte drive. I don't know that it's quite on the market yet. But anyway, that that looks like that's the state of the art in hard drives. Is about thirty terabytes per in a drive right now. Yeah. Um. Anyway, SSDs. So, 
so the SSDs are are limited by by density, and you know you can buy a really long SSD right now for the data center, right? So like they there are data center SSDs that are that are longer than the ones you put in your normal gaming PC uh, that hold more chips and more density, and the 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 3D stacking of the NAND seems to be something that can I don't know what it's, I don't want to say it's infinite, but like where like there's performance implications and stuff like that, but they're still holding more bits per cell um, or more bits per square inch. And then there's also like quad level NAND and stuff like that. Quad level cells, which can store four bits per cell instead of one. And like it's possible. I don't think we're going to get to a petabyte on NAND in 10 years, but maybe that's, so- that's a little a little wilder. I, I just found an article that seems like it's tailor-made to answer this exact question. Uh, okay. This was at the the China Flash Memory Market Summit in March Ooh. of last year. Samsung actually explicitly said they expect to hit a one petabyte capacity on an SSD within a decade. Oh, okay. Uh, well, there you go. Utilizing all the stuff you mentioned, but that's, who knows if that'll actually be available uh commercially or if that's just like hey we have done this in a lab like as a prototype or something like that but it's exactly what you said it's just like layers upon layers of stacked memory uh and stuff like that um yeah i mean the other thing is the the process tech is easier to advance it seems like than than like nan does well at lower at smaller process techs process sizes and nan nan process sizes are still relatively large yeah uh, um, I wonder if maybe the more interesting question here is uh, are is 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 flash memory is is NAND going to surpass hard drives finally in the next decade? Is hard drive progress going to slow down and SSD accelerate to the point that SSDs are actually bigger than hard drives finally? Well, and, so and or and or price per price per terabyte or whatever. I did the math the other day and like my current my current NAS, which has three 14 terabyte drives in it, I think is I it would be really expensive to do that with, with SSDs. The, I could easily replace the last NAS with two terabyte SSDs and have a fraction of the cost of what, what it would have cost. You know, it's, it's like if you, if you bought those SSDs on sale now, you could get them for a hundred and hundred, 150 bucks per, for, for two terabyte SSDs. Now with NVMe SSDs, the problem is how do you, how do you actually, uh, you probably don't have enough slots. So you're looking at SATA SSDs. So you're not seeing, you're still seeing better access times and stuff like that than you do and write, write speeds than you do on a hard drive, but it's not, you know, it's not the same kind of performance improvement that you do with a PCIe four yeah. SSD or something like that. Yeah. The, the, the other option there is like a PCI express card that would accommodate multiple drives, but then that's you'd, true. You'd need to, you would need to use a lot of your lanes uh, on a motherboard to get the, get the full speed of all those drives at one time. Never enough lanes. Never enough lanes. Ever. Ever. Uh, Shifty Lightfoot asks, how would you make the perfect peanut butter and jelly sandwich? What kind of bread? How thick are the slices? Toasted? What kind of peanut butter? Creamy or crunchy? Jelly or jam? What kind? This is a lot of questions. Uh, wow. Crumb coat of peanut butter on both slices? Somebody's been making cakes. What's that? Somebody's been making cakes. Yeah. Uh, To keep the jelly from soaking into the bread? Or does that make it too easy for the jelly to escape? Okay, yeah, I'm guessing. I'm guessing you have stronger feelings about this than me. Do you not? Know, I, I, I mean, you, well, okay. So I have a kid, so I've been eating peanut butter jelly sandwiches in a way that I didn't probably a decade ago. <laughs> That's fair. I mean, I mean, let me let me be clear. I love a PB and J. I just I'm not. I I 
I'll kind of take whatever with basically one exception that we'll get to. But go so, on. okay. So if I'm making a base PBJ for my kid, it's like raspberry jam. Uh, I do a little bit of peanut butter on both sides, more on one side than the other. Uh, white, like whatever the, whatever the bread or white wheat doesn't matter. Uh, she likes no crust. I, I, I like the crust personally. Um, I don't put enough jelly on for the crumb coat on both sides of the bread to be a, a jelly squirting problem. Yeah. Uh, if I'm making a PB and J, I get a little nuts and I put like apple, I'll put some like green apple slices if we have them Whoa. on there. Wow. Um, I don't put a whole lot of like, I, I, I honestly, I'm partial to a PB and B peanut butter and banana. Yes. A little bit more. Yes. Um, that's that's my preference, but like the the that do you, you remember specialties? Oh yeah, you used to work downtown. Oh yeah, they had a such a good PB and J. Oh man, that was that place was so good, and I never even considered getting. Oh, wow, because I think they're gone now, right? I think it's they were gone. A yeah, casualty of the pandemic. That's very sad that I ever tried that. Hold on, it's it's easy to make. Um, so they did a CD bread, and it had it. That's where I that's where I got the green apple idea. Uh, the specialties cafe, ca- cafe, peanut butter and stuff. Sando was, oh man, I just have the nutritional recommendation, the nutritional ah. information. Oops. It had cranberry sauce on it, which wow. was unbelievable. Wow. Cause it was like tart and like it, they did. It was, it was so freaking good. Wild. Um, I do not, uh, I do not see a recipe or a like list of ingredients for it, which is a bummer. I'll have to track that down. Well, actually I may have some good, some, well, kind of good news. Okay. Good, good news for the people of Mountain View and Brisbane, 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 California. Yeah. The the Bay area one. How do people say that? Brisbane, Brisbane. Oh, wow. Uh, apparently, apparently specialties does survive in those two places. Oh, the Brisbane ones, the one I used to order order from when I worked at future. Okay. So they're not gone. So hang on, I'm going to look up their PB and J right now. This doesn't look the same as it used to. Hmm. Look, a lot of things have changed. Yeah, I uh, think this is. Oh, wait, no, is this, it says it says reestablished 2022. Is this a pretender specialties? Oh, re- oh you're right. Reestablished 2022. Weird. Maybe this, this could actually be new ownership. Wow, I'm excited. That barbecue pork, uh, that barbecue pulled chicken sandwich is, is a banger if it's the same one. The beef and blue was always good too. I do yes. not see a PB and stuff here. I don't though. either. I have a PB and stuff. That's what they called it. Interesting. Uh, um, uh, I'll, I, I'll just, I'll just answer real fast. I kind of don't care about it. Well, I don't, okay. I definitely don't care about the bread. Just whatever's around. Uh, my, my one, my, my staunch peanut butter stance now is no sugar in peanut butter. A hundred percent. Yeah. I like, I like the, I like the peanut butter that just says ingredients, peanuts, yeah, it like kind of is kind of what I eat for peanut butter these days. And uh, on the, uh, as as a bonus, you get a good upper body workout stirring that peanut butter when you buy it. We've talked um, about that. Um, well, so you can also get uh, no sugar peanut butters that are homogenized enough that you don't have to stir them. Oh, too. Okay. Um, and then uh, I I have to I have to default to grape. Oh, grape grape jelly is 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 the default J Sorry. for me. We just do apologize for my I, preference in jelly. Look, I'm not, I'm not judging. I am judging a little bit, but, 
Uh, we do. We I live unfortunately in a smooth peanut butter house. I'm a mm. crunchy oh. peanut butter person. Oh, okay. Well, I, I can go either way on that one, but uh, I like a little extra tooth in there. Sure. Um, we do Jif Natural Creamy is the one that we normally do, and I think it has oh. something in there that lets it lets it not require stirring. Interesting. I didn't know they were doing natural peanut butter now. Yeah, we we used to be the 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 grease on the top people. Yeah. Um, uh, and the volume of peanut butter sandwiches we make made for a while change that. Well, hey, remember, uh, I, I I told you about my trick. You just got to rotate um, it every 24 hours for a couple of days before you open it. That would mean we have to rotate it. We just I need a machine that rotates mm-hmm. it every 24 hours. There you go. Uh, it I've, has I've, palm oil. It does have sugar. So okay. Okay. Uh, I didn't realize that. OK, um, I, I think somebody once recommended a mechanical paint stirrer to me for stirring the natural peanut butter. I can see that. Uh, which <laughs> sure you should just take it. There's a paint shop by your house. You should yeah. just take it in there and put it on oh, the that's, shaker. That's true. Yeah. Just be oh. like, hey, can I borrow this for a minute? And then just. Yeah, well, that's. Yeah, I'll consider that. All right. Question for Fishy J. Uh, what is the preferred way to lay out an L-shaped desk? Screens in the corner? Everything on one side? Uh, I, I, we had, we had L-shaped desks when I was, the last time I was at CBS or, or for part of that time. I yeah. hate sitting in the nook. I hate sitting in the corner. Never the crotch. I cannot. I can't. And that's how that, that's how they had everybody set up when I got yep. there. I, I immediately dismantled all of the stuff on the desk that required me to sit in the, in the nook. Yeah. Well, it's bad for you. Like it's, you don't have the right angle, like your angles for mouse mousing and keyboarding are always oh, going to be jacked. Yeah. I didn't even consider the ergonomic implications there. Yeah, your arms it's terrible. Can't, like your arms can't extend straight out at right angles like they're supposed to with the corners or with the nope. slanted desk like that. No. So yeah, don't, don't do that. Uh, pick a side. You got to yes. pick a side. I, I put the stuff on the long side and then the, the, the other side is for crap. I have my, I don't have an L shaped desk, but my stuff is lined up that way right now. Cause I have a, uh, some like shelves on the right of my desk that have the mixer and all that stuff on them. That sounds fun. Uh, that, that is one of the innumerable goals I would have if I were to move into a house is have an L shaped desk, have, have yeah. the space and fill it with two desks. Well, I, I like the, I like the sit stand for the main desk sure. and I don't want to have a sit stand L shaped desk. Cause that's too much. That's mm, it's like a yeah. lot of going up and down. Yeah. But well, the, uh, yeah, put the, put the less essential stuff on the the part that doesn't go up and down. Maybe that that's the thing. The stuff was, well, it's, it's, it turns out you put the stuff that doesn't need wires that like that has less wiring or that the wiring is independent of the computer and, and then it works out. Yeah. Yeah. I'd probably, if I had an L, I'd probably put like a small TV on, uh, makes sense. The, the longer part of the L, maybe like a little, like a, just a nice flat open workspace, you know, like a place to unroll the soldering mat and do some soldering or something like that. I, uh, so my, the left side of my desk, I have a place to like build Lego or do soldering. I have a cutting mat there to protect the desktop from whatever, whatever I'm doing. Um, but yeah, that, like it would be nice to have a bigger space for that and like the way to set up dedicated cameras and stuff for it. Yeah. Uh, Okay, I haven't even read this entire, you bolded this one, so hopefully you've got an answer. I haven't actually read the whole thing yet. Yep. Uh, from uh, Peter's Victor. Uh, I need a solution to get Wi-Fi and a camera to our sheep shed located 120 meters from our house. Uh, in the house, we got a fiber connection and a Nighthawk router that's been adequate for our needs. Uh, we're looking for a cheap and stable solution. Are there any good Wi-Fi extenders or, or should we get some kind of mesh network going? Uh, are there any good mesh solutions for outdoors use? A big plus if the camera is HomeKit compatible. So 120 meters is far. 
just just yeah. to be clear um yeah. like no, normally i would say take an ethernet cable and run a slit trench and then put another access point out there yeah i, w- I was going to jokingly say bury an ethernet cable but actually maybe the serious answer is also bury an ethernet cable well so like um my folks at their place have 120 it's it's more than that to go from the point where the where the cell service um like the, they they had cellular internet service for a long time and they ran a, a fiber ethernet basically over that distance cuz cuz you can't do traditional um uh oh God, copper right. ethernet more than 100 meters yeah, reliably I, wow yes i didn't even it didn't even click for me that this is straight up over that limit for normal ethernet yeah, but but you can't do fiber because yeah. you, you you base but you need power on one end or the other for that to work. Maybe fiber both. Fiber is crazy. Uh, if you like, and also you can just get cheap fiber on like Amazon these days. Like there's fiber. Yeah, fiber, fiber networking cable is not that um, expensive, but it's hilarious to go on there and find cables that are rated in terms of kilometers. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Of, absolutely. Of, not not that you're buying it in kilometer spools, but what I mean is the. The signal, the signal integrity is rated to go like multiple kilometers. Yeah. And and so the nice thing about that is assuming you're not digging willy nilly, you can literally take a shovel and do a four inch, you know, do do cuts, right? Like stomp your foot down on the shovel and wedge it up four four or five inches and then jam the the cable down in there. It's not it's not going to last forever, but it'll probably last long enough that you don't don't care. Yeah. The um, 120 meters is a long way to do that, though. Yeah. The um, the thing I would probably do if you don't want to dig is get what's called a point to point wireless bridge. So TP link makes them ubiquity makes them. There's a whole bunch of really questionable looking ones on Amazon that I don't know anything about. Um, they're they're You basically need both ends. So you need a, you need one end at the house and one end at the sheep shed. And then you'll also need something to an access point that will provide ether uh, Wi-Fi at the, uh, at the, at the shed end as well which, you know, is just a normal mesh mesh endpoint or, or whatever, um, or just a normal, uh, like ubiquity or TP link access point, no, no router. Um, so the TP link and ubiquity ones were 65 to $75. The TP link one that looked good and had 5,000 positive ratings was like, is the CPE 710? Uh, they're 75 bucks each. And then your access point will be another 50 or hundred bucks on that based on which kind you, you add. These use AC and they give you an 867 megabit point to point connection um, and they do need power. But I think you can use POE and I believe that the TP link one, which is 10 bucks more than the ubiquity one, came with a POE injector. If you don't have a switch that does power over Ethernet, which I wouldn't expect you to have probably. Uh, do those require a line of sight or is that is it that kind of point to point or is it, or is this just like a, some kind of shaped antenna like shaped signal? Yeah, so my guess is they'll probably go through trees, uh, not trunks, but like but like leaves. They have big like parabolic antennas with a with a projector and they can go uh, uh, several hundred meters. It looked like Uh, so. But this is this is just a radio standard radio signal. Then it's because I I, I have also heard of I have no idea what this is called, but I've heard of um, some people getting line of sight uh, Internet access set up that. Actually, I don't know if they're using lasers or what's going on there that actually do have to like point at each other and not be and not be blocked by anything. So these have to point at each other. They don't like I said, like foliage probably blocking is fine. But like if there's ground in between them, it's not going to work. There's so there's these are these operate at five gigahertz. These just use normal Wi-Fi. You can get a 60 gigahertz uh, connection. Ubiquity makes those. They call them building links. The idea is you put them on the top of your buildings and aim them at each other. And and those require direct line of sight. 60 gigahertz won't penetrate stuff. 
but they'll give you like a 10 gigabit connection between the points. Okay. They're also a thousand dollars each for the endpoints. So it's that, like, yeah, that, that sounds know. more like what I had heard of. Yeah, th- those those are those are like an industrial like they literally had them on top of like the 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 pictures of them in use was on top of big giant high rises on different like campuses where they don't have a direct wired link to each other, basically. So you just, yeah. you know, pig po- pony pony piggyback off of the 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 wireless anyway uh i have to ask they mentioned the sheep shed do you think there is that is that just like a um it's a shed where the sheep live brad right but do you think there are literal sheep involved here or is that just like a holdover from an earlier time when sheep were involved in this sort of shed my my guess is like my so my sister uses something similar to this to do at her horse barn so she like it's nice to have cameras when you have uh livestock that is having babies Okay. So you can go so you can like roll over in bed and look at a at a camera at a at a screen and see if the horse is in labor or sheep is in labor and you need to get up and walk over. In the old days, before we had security cameras that were cheap, my sister would get up every three hours when she was when she was in high school and walk over to the barn and look and see if the if the mare was foaling. And if the mare was not foaling, she'd walk back. Or sometimes she'd just set up a sleeping bag and a cot in the wow. in the bed wow. when it was looking like it was close. So that's in, a dedicated in, in, in way to do it. All. Well, uh, I mean, you I, don't want to lose your livestock. Did, did I did I talk about sheep herding recently on here in the context of YouTube, or have I not? You watch? Are you uh, wait? Are you watching sheep herding YouTube? I, 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 that's the whole reason I got excited here is that I'm on the cusp of falling down a new YouTube rabbit hole. Oh, it's which, it's good. Which all it all started with. Um, this was going around on Twitter, but uh, it was actually this guy's TikTok account, but he also has a YouTube channel, Sean the Sheep Man, S E A N Sean. Uh, he's he from a, New Zealand. No, he's a Scottish sheep farmer. Um, what I was actually, what I actually was fascinated by was the herding dogs that he uses. Cause he's got a bunch of, um, I haven't gotten into it too much yet, but he's got a bunch of like really exhaustive videos up on his YouTube channel mm-hmm. that go through all the commands that he teaches the dogs and how they teach the dogs and at what time. And like, like watching the dogs work and watching him command them and <laughs> how happy they look <laughs> like those herding dogs look <laughs> happier than any animal I have ever seen when they are done herding. Well, so, uh, and it's it's kind of it's kind of beautiful to watch. We had a corgi for a long time for folks who don't know. And the the there's a place up in Sonoma that you could take herding dogs and let them like let them go out with dogs that know how to herd. And Wait, are, are, are corgis herding dogs? Corgis are herding dogs. I did, I did not know that. Yeah, they're they're uh, sheep herding and and cow and horses. When we took her back east, she immediately wanted to go try to herd the horses, which would have resulted in her being killed, probably. <laughs> Yikes! Um, but uh, but yeah, like you could take them out and and they'll let you herd the sheep with the other dogs that know how to herd and teach them, help you teach them basic herding commands. It's it's a. I wish we had done it. We we never we didn't know about it until she was too old to do it. Probably, unfortunately. Yeah. All right. Um. Next question here. Uh, Mr. Radical Bomb wrote in. Uh, you brought up fixing your own iPhones or even a sideline business of fixing phones recently. Uh, I live in central Wyoming, uh, where the nearest Apple store is seven hours away by car. Oof. Uh, so I do a side business fixing iPhones and some iPads. Uh, I would probably decline replacing the battery in Brad's iPad as the batteries suck to remove, and I would be very nervous about breaking the screen as I removed it. Uh, now, if I was replacing a broken screen, uh, then swapping the battery while I'm in there might be worth doing. Uh, anytime I get a new screen, it comes with a new seal, so they should always leave me with a fresh waterproof seal. I don't fix Android devices as the parts are more expensive and they take a lot longer to fix. 
Uh, if you're curious about any other aspects of doing a sideline phone repair business, feel free to ask. Yeah, the Apple Apple has done a, with the exception of stuff like gluing the batteries into the iPads and gluing the screens onto the iPads, uh, they, they've they've done a better job making the phone screens replaceable. It's like it's a like I had to fix one for somebody a few few months ago, and it was surprisingly fast. Yeah, that's that's easy. cool. That's cool to hear. Um, on the flip side of that, I somehow in my YouTube recommendations recently have come up a lot of videos of uh, it's mostly one channel, but justifiably ranting about the way that modern MacBooks are designed, specifically with the memory and 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 actually the worst part is the SSD being yeah. soldered to the mainboard because. I can't believe I never thought about this when I bought a modern MacBook. Like SSDs have a finite lifespans, right? There are like a they're all going to wear out eventually when they've been written to enough. But also there are a bunch of other things that can kill an SSD as well. And then you've just got a brick of a laptop because it has no viable storage on it. And also getting that storage out of there. If there's like you, you need to like safe erase it and it's dead. If you had like sensitive data on there is also a nightmare. Like the, I don't know that it's defensible that they solder the storage like this this very disposable storage directly onto those things. I So you used to be able to put the MacBooks, at least with the Intel MacBooks, you used to be able to put them in a mode that let you do like SSD stuff to them, even when they weren't working otherwise. Like you let them, you plug them in and they showed up as a USB device or something. I can't remember how that worked. I It's stupid. Yeah. Like I, I, I don't like it is a dis, distinctly consumer unfriendly choice to do that. Yeah. It basically means that instead of if you have sensitive data on a device, instead of being able to just wipe it and pull the hard the SSD and shred the SSD, you have to shred the whole motherboard for the MacBook, which yes. is feels stupid. So that was the thing I just saw come up recently was like the, some some e-waste or like Mac recycling place had just destroyed the motherboards in like 70 something like just a giant stack of inoperable MacBooks because it was easier to just break the motherboard than deal with all the soldered on parts. Which yep. is terrible, which is terrible. The other thing, I don't want to spend too much time talking about this. The other thing I just forgot and, and, and remembered is that they page the modern Mac OS in these MacBooks pages to disk constantly because those SSDs are so fast. They're actually like an appreciable fraction of the speed of main memory. Well, and they ship that, slow. They ship small memory configs uh, on OS. And, 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 and that's, that's exactly it. This channel did a bunch of testing and determined that if you're at 16 gig or above of, of system memory, you're fine because you're rarely unless you're running like a ton of VMs you're probably not going to page to disk much at 16 gig or more, but for the baseline eight gigabyte configuration, like you're paging to disk constantly, just having like a bunch of Chrome tabs open. And that's that's interesting. And that eats up your, the right endurance on your SSD very fast. Yeah. Uh, It's funny because like looking at my SSDs in my windows machine, the, my stream machine, which is now five years old and has had the same SSD in it the entire time. Is it like 95% right endurance still? Yeah. Yes. And in like, a lot like of you, yeah, you cases, hardly, yeah, you hardly use right endurance for the yeah. most, for most use cases. Yeah. Um, I'm curious what the, um, I, I, I will kind of look at Gina's MacBook, which is about a year and a half old now, because I think she has an eight gig air and I'm curious what the, what her SSD right endurance is like. Yeah. That would be interesting to hear actually. Um, let's see. Uh, do you want to read this Shags Muku question about Macintoshes? While we're on the subject. Uh, by the way, I was at the Smithsonian last weekend randomly. Ooh, which one? Uh, let's see. I mostly I did American history. Mostly natural history was like way too mobbed with people. Yeah, it's full. Um, it's often full. American history is really good, though. Uh, yes, it was fantastic. I couldn't I did, didn't get into air and space because they're doing a bunch of construction and they're limiting the number of people in there. 
it's uh, they're always limiting the number of people even when they're not doing construction but it's really? it's very good uh so i'm, I'm going to do air and space next time but you, uh, should, you should go to dulles you should go to the dulles extension too and see the space shuttle Ooh, because it's and you can i think you can take metro out there now even you don't have to okay. take a cab or anything if you don't have a car Oh wait, man! DC Metro is very nice, by the way. It's, isn't it? Isn't it's very it very functional? Like, so we talked about this in the Discord, but like my or on Blue Sky, maybe my parents, old people who live in the suburbs of DC. When you say, when you look at them and say, "Oh yeah, I'm taking the family on Metro downtown," they look at you as if you're riding a, a train that will be a flaming death bomb <laughs> the entire way there, and and then you're going into an active war zone to go to the, like the mall. It's fine. I got on Metro and I was like, this is the nicest public transit I've been on in years. Yes. yes. It's like, yeah. it, it's like Bart, but nice. But, well, okay. So you haven't written, you might not have written Bart in a while, but Bart's pretty nice. The new trains yeah. on Bart are pretty nice too. It has been a few years, I think. Yeah. Since I read Bart. But yeah. uh, anyway, the whole reason I brought that up was they had an Apple one in American oh, yeah. history. I saw, oh, yeah. I saw an Apple one live and in person. Yeah. I, I, I'd have to look it up. I believe I've read there were only like 400 of those made. It was, they, it was before they moved to the one that they, Yeah, they soldered this in the in like their garage yes, in, I, in Sunnyvale or Cupertino or something. Yes, I, I believe I believe all the Apple ones were hand built before they moved to mass production on the Apple two. Yeah, hand built by Waz probably. Uh, right. It was, it was very cool to see the um that that museum, the pop culture exhibit upstairs was really good. The the new yes. way that they display the Star Spangled Banner, which you, you know that's fraught for a multitude of reasons mm-hmm. but it's it's a good display that's, it's a, a big better way than they used to do it it is a big flag a big flag a lot of holes uh-huh um and then uh the first lady's dress exhibit in that museum is lovely too i don't know if you went in there oh, but it was it was cool i'm not sure if i saw that one i had i had yeah. kind of limited time but uh i'm gonna have to go back because there's a lot more to see anyway uh question from shags magoo since we're talking about an apple stuff uh, I've become Mac curious in my advanced age of the late 30s and have been thinking about ways to start playing around with Mac OS. I noticed an old Mac computer lying around at work from around 2013 and offered to buy it for my boss, who said I could just have it. Uh, so I'm in the process of updating this thing from Big Sur to Monterey, uh, whatever the hell that means. <laughs> I, am then, I am then going to format it and play with it on my side monitor at home. Any tips for someone whose only experience with a Mac was trying it one time during college in 2005-ish at the campus library? Fumbling around for five minutes before saying, oh, fuck this shit and going back to a PC. Uh, I'm also deep into the Apple ecosystem and everything else, but desktop computers, a phone, tablet, watch and Apple TV. So I can at least carry over my knowledge from there to this little box for whatever that's worth. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I mean, you just you just kind of switch back after a long time on PC, right? Well, let's see. So I basically only use Macs in school uh, off and on in the kind of pre-jobs return era up until 2008. My yeah. first, the first Mac I ever owned was the 2008 Unibody with the NVIDIA uh, hardware in it. Remember okay. that? Yeah, yeah. Um, and then we used, and I think you guys were the same, right? We like, like whiskey, whiskey like was an all Mac. 13-inch Airs, yeah, and pros, and depending we, on what, what, what you wanted. Like coming from CNET, which was just like a bunch of ramshackle, crappy Windows XP machines, whatever IT gave you, like going to Whiskey Media, and it was like an all Apple shop top to bottom was kind of a revelation unto itself. Anyway, and then, you know, used used exclusively Macs for the entirety of Giant Bomb uh, and still have a MacBook. But keyboard shortcuts, like learning, learning keyboard shortcuts was huge for me coming from Windows to Mac OS because like, I'm not going to say the GUI is like less capable, but like you're not, you're, it's not all one-to-one with Windows, right? Like the way that minimize and maximize work is not the same. Yeah. Um, trying to think other differences, like the, the concept of 
of what an application is and what it encompasses in the GUI is different from Windows, where in Windows, every every individual window is its own window versus like Mac OS tends to group windows under the banner of the application, you know? So like if you if you hide an application, it's going to hide every window that is attached to that running application, not just yeah. the one, not just the one window that you're actively using. It's it, it, it's funny because Mac OS these days kind of splits the difference between like a traditional Linux desktop manager and Windows in terms of how how it works. But I, I mean, the thing I would say is like just just I, it sounds like you got a, a a a mini or something like that, so it's not, or maybe even a a, a trash can or or you know one of those uh, pro of some kind. Um, just spend time with it and use it. You might be back uh, twenty thirteen machine. You might be you might be cut. You're probably cut off from the newer OSs because I think the newer ones are only for for relatively new machines. Yeah, they do aggressively cut off. Let me see. I'm on a an M1 MacBook Pro that is on Sonoma, which is yeah. Uh, uh, 14 Mac OS 14. I'm not sure which one Monterey is. Yeah. But, but the point is the language of the UI and the OS is the same for the most part between whatever your newest version of OS 10 is going to be on that machine. You might want to stop one back because sometimes like my 13 inch MacBook pro got kind of janky when I put the last one that they let me put on it. Um, the, uh, the other thing I would say is, uh, like keyboard shortcuts are important it's really designed to be used with laptops. Yeah. Like, like yeah. all of the, all of the like touch bar uh, trackpad shortcuts are, are really good and really powerful. If you're just using it with a mouse and keyboard, some stuff's going to feel a little bit weird. Don't go buy a trackpad or something stupid, but, but just be aware that like a lot of the, a lot of it is not designed to be a, a lot of it is designed to be used with a, with a like multi-touch trackpad. So you yeah. can do like three finger swipes and stuff like that. Yes, that's that's for sure. Uh, mission control. Go go find the mission control control panel and learn how all that stuff works, because they, they rely on mission control for window management quite a bit. Like, you know, yeah. that's the thing that'll zoom all windows out so you can see everything that's open at one time or like fling them all off the desktop and back. You can the- you can you can um, bind those to hot corners where you like fling the mouse into a corner and it'll activate those. Just like if you have the gestures on the trackpad, uh, you can also um, I used a thing called better touch tool, which is a little like five dollar utility for a long yeah. time that lets you bind keyboard shortcuts and, and mission control stuff to like mouse buttons as well. Uh, a, lo- a lot of that stuff is less useful if you're on a real, if you're on an actual real monitor and not on like a 12 inch screen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah. Uh, and then the other thing is there's a lot of, there's a really robust ecosystem of developers who build like, like $5 apps, right? Yeah. $5 tools that, that significantly enhance workflows and and make things easier to use um and it's and it's worth kind of investigating those yeah yes um let's see here let's do a few more before we go uh question from hunter uh google is once again doing what it does best killing perfectly good services and is shutting down google podcasts in april in favor of merging it into the youtube music app i absolutely hate this do you have any recommendations for a podcast app or service that isn't Apple Podcasts? So, okay, two things. One, uh, this over the holidays, I took the time and made all of the tech pods available on YouTube now. Oh, so we have you. a Brad and Will tech pod. The YouTube channel is Brad and Will made a tech pod. <laughs> uh, and all of the back episodes should be available there. You should be able to subscribe to it in YouTube music, just like every other podcast. 
uh, and it's linked off of techpod.content.town if you can't find it on YouTube proper. So uh, Android users are not hosed when they kill Google Podcasts in April. Um, so so the the answer is Downcast and Pocket Casts are both quite good. I've used them both of them on iOS at different times. I don't know what people's uh, preferred apps are. I think both of them have a small fee. They're not, but they're not necessarily an annual. Um, uh, although you do, I think Downcast, sorry, Pocket Cast has additional features you get if you pay for it. Pocket Cast is a weird lineage. It was a like independently developed thing and then got bought by a couple of people and ended up at NPR for a while for weird oh. reasons and then has been bought by somebody else now. Um, they, they both seem like they're fine businesses, uh, and, and the apps have both been good and they sync across multiple platforms. So you can buy like pocket casts on your windows machine or your Mac and your Android devices and your, your like playlists and your synced lists, your sync play positions and all that stuff will sync across those devices, which is nice. Yeah. Um, I have not used it heavily and I believe it's Apple only, but I also like overcast pretty well. From, overcast from, is Apple only. Yeah, yeah it, it is. Uh, it's made by Marco Arment. Uh, yeah of formerly of tumblr that's what i use on uh, my phone yeah uh i mostly use it to get podcasts onto the watch because apple makes that a nightmare to do it is a pain in the ass uh but if you're on apple only i think that one's pretty good too um the let's see the last part of this is yeah google kill stuff that's good it sucks well wow. sorry yes um Chip Shirley asks, how did the term uplift come to replace improvements when discussing hardware performance improvements? Uh, I don't the, think I've never heard this before. I really, don't think no. the first place I, I explicitly remember the first place seeing I saw this was when I, I want to say it was in CPUs. It was in CPU reviews. And I want to say it was when Zen 3 came out, the Ryzen 5000 chips, which may have originated with AMD now that I think about it. Like I saw it in reviews, but I bet I wouldn't be shocked if that language actually came out of like amd marketing or something it was always in the context of like yeah 12 percent ipc uplift this generation ipc you know instruction per clock kind of how fast a single core is but they they started i i think it's just a fancier way i think, I think that's the AMD thing actually when you mention it it just it just it just sounds fancy i think i don't know yeah I, I mean you tell me the, the problem the, so the the general problem is that sometimes people mean performance difference and sometimes people mean percent increase and those are two different numbers often. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't I don't know. This this is the, the language around all of this stuff is often weird. Yes. Uh, do you want to do this one you've highlighted here? Can, can we do that one? Sure. I have thoughts about this. I want to talk. I'm going to have to talk to Vinny about it. OK. All right. This is from Rabbit Oyster. Uh, Vinny has discussed his interest in welding and his ultimate decision not to get involved with it because, as he described it, it's a hobby that demands attention to the exclusion of other involved hobbies, uh, such as 3D printing or woodworking. Uh, do either of you have an identity-defining hobby? And for Will, does a laser cutter demand as much time and attention as 3D printing? So, okay, first off, the laser cutter is at least the one that I have. Um, I have a Glowforge. If people are going to buy a Glowforge, let me know, because I have a code that you can use to get a discount. Um, but it... it uh, it does not seem to have the kind of disuse degradation that a lot of other tools, including like PCs have. Like if I use it every day for a month and then turn it off for two months and turn it back on, there's nothing janky or weird about it. It just turns back on and it's fine. Yeah. Um, I think part of that is that they did a pretty good job engineering it to work in that kind of case. Cause that's how a lot of people use that kind of tool. Yeah. 
uh, I would say that welding is absolutely not the kind of hobby that requires uh, the kind of skill that requires the exclusion of other other time. Have you, have um, you done it? Yeah. When I asked Jamie and Adam, when we started testing, I was like, hey, I want to learn how to weld. What would you try to go take a class or something? Jamie spent five minutes with me with a MIG welder and a pair of goggles and was like, look, basically, this is just a hot glue gun for metal. <laughs> Here's what you need to know. Man, and uh, I want to hang yeah. out with that dude. Uh, there's pros and cons to that. Okay. Uh, fair. But, but, but yeah, so MIG welding, we did a video series that was poorly received by the YouTube populace. But, um, like if you spend 10 hours, if you buy a $200 MIG welder from Harbor Freight, it's not going to last very long probably, but it, it, you're not going to electrocute your, well, maybe don't, maybe <laughs> buy a used $200 MIG welder, not one mm-hmm. from Harbor Freight. Um, the MIG, the MIG welder basically is a, has a gun that feeds the, 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 the metal that gets welded, that, that becomes the, the weld through the middle of this thing. It has a little motor that pushes a wire through and hits the electricity between the edge of the MIG and the, and the, and the thing. And it jumps the arc. You don't have to understand anything about how it works. You need to know that you shouldn't look at it with your naked eyes. You need to have everything grounded properly. So you don't electrocute yourself. Um, but it's not, a it's not, a like it's difficult to do well, like many, many things, but you can learn the basics in about two hours and then get reasonably okay at it in about five or 10. And then you'll need an angle grinder or something to make your welds not look like complete shit when you're, when you're done. So, um, and if you're worried about it, you can take a MIG welding class at like your adult extension classes, uh, pretty much any, in any, most community centers. Um, and, and it's a, it is incredibly nice to be able to hot glue gun metal to other metal. Sure. I could see that being it's a useful, useful skill. Quite yeah. useful. Um, I don't have a good answer to this question because all of my hobbies are now my work. Yeah, I don't, I don't have, I, I've never has, had a hobby that's exclusionary for everything else right, either. I don't uh, think. Sure. Like from, from video games to like the NASA and open source stuff and like everything that I would normally be doing in my spare time has now become my work. So I don't have a good answer here. Uh, I do have another good question here though, that follows on from the bonding metal to other metal thing. Yeah, let's have it. A uh, question from Fishy J. Can you replace a micro USB power port soldered onto a PCB with a USB C port? I I don't, don't think so, but did you look this up? I did not. I don't see why not. Okay, like first of all, assuming let's assume perfect uh soldering skills here. Like let's assume execution is flawless here. I would I thought they were wiring compatible. Is that not the case? I don't think the pinouts are the same for the for the port side, but I don't know for sure. Um, sorry, I, I assumed you looked this up, so I didn't read it. No, I, I didn't. I, I'm basing this on loose experience, but like, the, you know, there are USB two USB C cables, for example. So those clearly have to be wired to accommodate. Like I, I've got USB. You, you get what I'm saying? Like, yeah, no, no, I I've understand. Got, I've got cables that are USB a on one end and C on the other, but they are, uh, electrically USB two cables 2.0. So I yeah, assume that that's what makes me assume that the, that the, 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 like at least oh. in terms of electricity, they should be compatible if you if you just match the wiring correctly. So apparently you can buy micro USB ports for PCBs that are pin compatible with USB to micro USBs. OK, so they won't be USB. Obviously, you're not going to get a USB three or USB, you know, three point two or whatever uh, speed out of it. But you can you yeah, can well, buy. 
Yeah, and here, here they're, they're not even asking about data. This is just for power here for electricity uh, in this question. Yeah, I worry about doing some of that stuff because you can end up in a situation where, um, where one of the nice things about having the connectors, like I, I, I like I, this is a thing that maybe you can do. I don't. It might not be a good idea because you're going to end up in a situation where the connector doesn't behave in a way that people expect it to. If it's yeah. anyone but you ever using it. I, I, that's what ultimately what I was going to say is I, I'm guessing this might theoretically be possible, but I don't think that means you should do it necessarily. <laughs> like, is, so is, I, yeah, I like I have an old keyboard that the power the, the USB connector is janky on. I was going to replace it, and I kind of looked at this and then decided not to do anything with it. Yeah. Um. The the USB C by default connector is like 22 pins, and they're really small. Yeah, and they're and they're the for the for USB C 3.0 and 3.2. It's a hard it's a hard solder. Yeah. But I I there are there are market solutions for USB micro USB to USB C. You have to make sure that the CC resistors are right because if you don't do the CC one CC two pin pull downs, then you won't be able to draw high power from your device, and that's yeah. that's anyway. Yeah. This- yeah. This all seems like probably a lot to tackle, maybe too much, but I, I identify with the urge because I'm also getting to the point where if I see micro USB on something, I feel annoyed. Yeah, the the making a USB C micro USB to USB C data is is there's a lot to that. Yeah, I, I'm going to say. Yeah. Uh, I, I well, if you have to ask, you probably shouldn't try to do it. Is the answer yeah, to that question. I started, I started to get into it. I received a Christmas gift where this was an issue where old, old, old Uh-oh. USB connector on the gift does not match new connector that I have already. And that's we're we're in, we're in the annoying part of the USB transition where some stuff that's still being sold is not going to line up with things that you have now. Well, I was going to say the other way to solve this problem, and it's not as elegant, is just to buy the magnetic cables for these devices that have um, micro USB connectors that you jam in and leave like the little magnet stump hanging out and just hook the magnet up to the cable rather than the, 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 the or, or get a thin low profile adapter. Cause you, they sell those too. They, they yeah. stick out more. Yeah. Um, um, let's see. All right. One more question here. Do you want to do the Z one? Yes. yes that's okay. the one we did research. Uh, Z XED asks, uh, when I was a kid, I remember the bit width of CPUs being a huge deal, uh, del- delineating distinct 8, 16, 32, and 64-bit eras of computing. Do you think 128-bit computers are going to be a thing or have we plateaued at 64-bit for the foreseeable future? So I think, I think the, the latter, probably in our lifetimes. Yeah, the reason the, reason the, the, the bit uh the the bit de- de- delineations went up was to add more addressable memory yeah um with 8 bit processors like the 8086 they had a 20 bit addressable memory bus and could hit, they could hit 1 megabyte of ram whoa. whoa yeah think about it whoa uh we with the 386 we went up to 32 bits which gave you access to four well actually that might not be true with the 386 but the definitely the the fifth gen by the fourth and fifth gen, we were seeing uh, 32-bit addressable spaces, which gave you access to four gigabytes of RAM, which was mm-hmm. a crazy amount back in uh, like 1994 when we had four 16 megabyte computers, right? Um, 
these days we're we're shipping machines with 32 gigabytes of RAM, 64 gigabytes of RAM regularly, all the way up to 128 and 256 for workstations. Yeah. Um, but that those 64 bit, uh, the 64 bit addressable space is 18 quintillion bytes, which is 18 exabytes of RAM. Basically, mm-hmm. we're probably fine at 64 four bit for a while. I is think the, is right. the TLDR. I think you're probably right. Uh, I hear an interesting illustration of this problem I have seen in the Raspberry Pi community. Where mm-hmm. the, the Raspberry Pi people that make Raspberry Pi OS, which is based on Debian, they they were really resistant to putting out a 64-bit version of Raspberry Pi OS for a long time, I think because they just didn't want to support multiple versions of the OS. Yeah. Uh, and they and and the reason people were starting to get mad about that is because their Pi's ship with up to 80 gigabytes now. Mm-hmm. And there's some there's some stuff you might run on a Pi, like certain database things or something that actually need more than four gigabytes of memory for that one process. And people were getting mad because the 32-bit version of the OS could not address more than uh, four gigabytes per process. Per I believe at, is per, the problem. Yeah, per, per thread, yeah, yeah, or, or yeah. So like that, that actually pushed them into doing that. Um, uh, the other, the other, there may be multiple other places where this matters, but another place it matters is the word size that the CPU can process. Like a word is basically a unit of data. Um, so basically, you can crunch more large, not more, but you can crunch larger individual discrete pieces of data like per, I guess, clock cycle on CPUs that have uh, higher bit uh, re- uh, registers, like data registers. Mm-hmm. So like, like the, the, the example I looked up was like on a, let me think this through, like so on a 16-bit, if you were trying to try to do an operation on a 24-bit word on a 16-bit CPU, you basically have to slice that up, if, if I understood correctly. Yeah, you know? It becomes two operations instead right, of one, at yes. least. Maybe three, because you might have to combine them and decombine right. them and stuff right. like that. Exactly. So, like, moving to a 32-bit CPU, you could do all of that in one operation. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, but with the 64, like, the, 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 also, there's stuff that we do to make that, to accelerate that stuff on modern CPUs, so it's less of an issue now than it was back then. Um, the, uh, the, 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 the One of the things I read as I was looking up the answers to this question is that we could have just done like 36 bit addresses space for memory on the on the AMD 64 compatible computers but it didn't like the number it's not as good a number for computers as uh as uh 64 bit so yeah. anyway here we are computers like powers of 2 it turns out can we do one more real quick sure we do the hen doubles on this just down a little bit from there uh yes sure all right last question hen dubs What's your screen protector strategy? How big is too big? Do you go tempered glass or are the newer film type ones more tempting? I love a screen protector. Really? So I don't do cases, which means that I put my phone directly in my pocket and mm-hmm. sometimes there's stuff in there. I also do. Um, I like to be able to put it face down on the table so that I'm not looking at it obsessively because I have poor self-control sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hate micro scratches. Same. So I hate like going out in the sun and seeing all those tiny little scratches on the screen of the phone. So I buy cheap, like $8 tempered glass screen protectors from Amazon. I've gotten really good at putting them on. The, the trick is to take a really hot steamy shower and then put them on immediately after that. Cause the steam pulls all the dust from the air. Yeah. Um, but I highly recommend them. And then as soon as I go outside and I see bad scratches, like I'm getting ready to replace the one on my phone now because I, at some point must've set it down on sand or something. Eesh. Um, uh, but yeah, I don't, I can, I can just make the scratches go away, which makes me happy. That's fair. Uh, I mean, uh, I, I don't, I don't like micro scratches, but apparently I don't like them as much as you, I don't, I don't not like them as much as you. Cause like I see them in the sun and they irk me, but then I'm like, whatever. 
and forget about it. So I don't use screen protectors on mine. Uh, also, like the, I mean, at least with iPhones, I mean, I'm sure high end Android is the same. Like the materials, the glass science has gotten good enough that like they are a lot more scratch resistant than they used to be. They're better. If I used a case, I would be less uh, like when I used to use a case on the phone and the case uh, extended out beyond the edge of the phone. So when you put it down on its on the face side, it's not actually resting on the glass. Sure. It was a little bit of a different situation. Yeah. Um, the other thing is I uh, on the iPad, I do a it's like a paper surface screen protector. It adds a little bit of a matte finish to the iPad. But when I'm using the pencil on it, it feels like I'm actually writing with a on on paper with a with a real writing implement, whether it's a pen or a pencil or whatever. Uh, and I quite I quite like that. So, Sounds good. Yeah, it was um, kind of expensive and a real pain in the ass to put on compared to the glass one. Compared to the glass ones. Yeah. Uh, the only thing I I religiously use a screen protector on is the Nintendo Switch because it goes in the, the Nintendo saw fit to design the Switch to go in the dock such that the plastic screen protector rubs directly up flush against hard plastic in the dock. They fixed that with the OLEDs. Did they? Yeah. So there's a padded, it's the dock uh, is a little bit wider and it has a padded oh, interface wow. on the Good edges. Good yeah. for them. I, I did not know that. I've never seen an OLED in person. I didn't know they had changed that because I started to say, I wonder what they're, what if anything, they're going to change about the dock design in a Switch 2, for example. The OLED dock also has Ethernet built in, which yeah. is nice. Yes, yes. I, I use an adapter for that, so it is possible, but that is nice to have that just there. Uh, yeah. But I, I'm curious if they go to some kind of somewhat different dock design with the next Switch or not. I assume they're going to keep the same basic form factor because it's been a pretty successful move for them, right? An analysts are reporting that they will, but also, like, I mean, they like it would be perhaps the worst business malpractice in history to abandon this gimmick that they have that is like, I mean, come on. Yeah, it's it's good. It works. Yeah. Yes. Um, so I guess that does it for us this week. Yeah. If you have questions in the future, you can email them to techbot at content.town or if you are a patron and, and are in the discord, you can go to Patreon uh, to question seeking answers, queue seeking A's and put the put your questions in there. Um, this has been, a, like I said, a banner crop of cues. We might pull some of these from for the end of uh, January when we do the next question episode. Yeah, because uh, there's qu quite a few left that it would be worth getting to. Um, mm -hmm. uh, if you, as always, Brad will made a tech pod is a 100 percent listener supported shows. We would not be here without you patrons. It's true. Thank you, patrons. Thank you, patrons. Uh, if you would like to find out how to support the show and become a TechPod patron, you can go to patreon.com slash TechPod. Again, that's patreon.com slash TechPod. And for five bucks a month, you get access to the Discord, which is full of wonder thousands of wonderful people uh, talking about the stuff that we talk about in the show every week, and a whole bunch of other stuff. That, like there were a bunch of good food posts over the holidays as people were sharing like the like I got some I got some side dish ideas and some appetizer ideas out of the out of the TechPod food channel. Um People talking about uh, gifts that they give other people. That's a that's always a lovely thread around the holidays because it's like, hey, here's this here's the stuff that I got that I found really meaningful and good, and I I I got uh, uh, some good stuff for family members and friends out of there. Um, but yeah, it's just a lovely community of 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 really really uh, smart and and thoughtful folks. Uh, and you can go to patreon.com slash tech pod, sign up for that, join the discord, get access to the patron exclusive episode every month where you hear Brad and I talk about what we're working on, what's coming for the show, uh, what we're kind of excited about, but maybe don't have a, enough to talk about it for a full episode yet sometimes. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a potpourri. I like yeah. to think. Yes. A grab bag, a cornucopia. Yeah, exactly. Um, but that'll do it for us this month. Uh, as always, we want to thank our patrons, but especially 
our executive producer tier patrons, including Paddle Creek Games, Makers of Fractured Veil, Andrew Slosky, Jordan Lippett, Bunny Fiend, comma, The, Thread Club supports Octothorpe Desks and Pets, Joel Krauska, Twinkle Twinkie, David Allen, James Kamek, and Pantheon, makers of the HS3 high-speed 3D printer. Thanks, everybody. Yeah, thank you. And uh, that'll do it for us this week. We will see you next week with another episode of the Tech Pod. Until then, stay safe. Have fun. Try a peppermint frosty, I guess. I don't know. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody.